And once you have it, go ahead and open up to Acts 21. Going to be in Acts 21 and 22 today. And uh, man, I'm freezing today because I'm wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> We're on the wrong day to wear a t-shirt. <laughs> I woke up this morning with my nice flannel ready to wear. And the Lord kind of put on my heart a theme for this morning. And I'm like, oh, I got a shirt with that. I'm going to wear that t-shirt. Now, in hindsight, I don't think that part of it was from the Lord. I don't think, I think right now he's saying, I never told you to wear that t-shirt. That was my idea. And now I get to sit here and freeze. So if the heater's on the whole time, it's because your pastor is freezing. All right. So, uh, yeah, if I'm really active, <laughs> even more so than normal, so I'm trying to stay warm. Um, so let me ask you a question off just first, kind of has to do with what we're going to be talking about today. How many of you guys get intimidated in telling people about Jesus Christ, all right? I'm the pastor up here, and I will raise my hand and tell you, because it's really easy to, like, talk in front of a bunch of Christians. I realize there might be some people here that aren't, but for the most part, this is like a safety place. I can, I can share it here, but it's a whole other thing when you're out in the world and you're telling people about Christ. I was telling somebody about this recently, how, like, I wear a lot of shirts kind of like this with the... Like, they're not, like, right in your face about Jesus, but they're enough to get people to ask questions. I have one that says, like, the king is coming. And so I've gotten lots of questions on that, like, oh, what king is that? And so I wear it with the intent of being able to open up a conversation with somebody about Jesus. But as soon as somebody says that, it's like, oh, no, I have to tell them now. And it's like, what's that conversation going to... I mean, that's honestly the fear of my flesh, you know? So, but... Um, What I found is that if I approach those conversations with people more so of like, okay, I'm just going to tell this person about what Jesus has done in my life. I'm going to share my testimony with them instead of like approaching it like, okay, how can I theologically explain to them how God is real and convince them that they're wrong if they disagree with me? If I approach it the one way of like, I'm just going to tell them like what Jesus has done in my life. I'm just going to share my testimony with them. It seems less intimidating to me. Would you guys agree with that? Have you experienced that same thing? And just to be clear, a a testimony, the the dictionary definition of that is firsthand authentication of a fact or basically firsthand evidence you've seen in your life of something. So when we're sharing our testimony of Jesus in our lives, we're basically giving somebody firsthand knowledge that we've experienced, things we've seen, things we've heard that prove that Jesus is real, okay? That's what you're doing in sharing your testimony with someone. And like I said, it's way more, it's less intimidating to me to do that because basically I'm just simply sharing with somebody what I've experienced in my life. And if they want to disagree with me, they're welcome to disagree with me, but you can't really argue. It's like I'm telling you, truth it's like you can argue with me on theology you can argue with me about the bible but you can't really argue with what i'm telling you has actually happened in my life and for that reason i found that sometimes sharing your testimony is the most effective thing you could ever do with somebody because they can't argue with you i mean they can call you a liar but oh well it's like you know it's truth and so they they can't argue as efficiently and more times than not Whereas maybe sometimes I've gotten in discussions with people about the Bible and disagreed on whether it was true or not. Most times when I switch it to just talking about my testimony, 
people don't argue with that. If anything, they just have nothing to say. You know, they just stay silent. So I found it to be a very effective way to share Jesus with people. And then the reason I'm telling you this is in today's text, we're going to see the apostle Paul choose to go the same route with the people that he's waited all his life to share Jesus with. He's wanted to come to Jerusalem for 20 plus years now, since he was saved, as we're going to see, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And you would think, as educated he was in the scriptures, that he would be the guy that would take the theological approach of like, I'm just going to explain to him how the Bible clearly says that the Messiah is Jesus. But he doesn't take that route. He goes a completely different route and decides to share his testimony with them, which I think is interesting and something we should take note of. So just to recap, we went through Acts 21, 17 through 36 last week. And we saw Paul share the, he comes to Jerusalem. He shares with the church about all the, the great things God's doing, the miraculous things in the Gentiles through his mission journeys. And they're excited. But if you remember, they also are concerned because they know that the Jews, even some of the Jewish Christians, kind of have a bad uh, assumption about Paul in thinking that he's teaching like uh, anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish teaching, like basically saying that once you're a Christian, you can't practice Jewish traditions anymore, things that were under the law, kind of like looking down upon them for doing that. And that wasn't what he was teaching. We went over this, how he never he didn't have a problem with the law. He never taught that the law was bad. He basically just said, you can't be saved by the law. It can't make you any better in God's eyes. So therefore, it's not necessary. The only way you can be perfect in God's eyes, the only way you can be forgiven of your sin is through understanding what Jesus did for you on the cross and believing and receiving in that. And so... If you want to follow the law and all these practices because they're part of your heritage, that's fine. But it doesn't do anything in making you good with God. That's what he taught. So there was a difference there. And the leadership of the church wants Paul to partake in some of the Jewish traditions. They have these guys that are under a vow and they're going to the temple for this uh, ritual purification that the law prescribed in number six. And they're like, Paul, why don't you do this with them? And then people will see that you're not really against the practicing the law and, and they'll be all right with you. So he agrees to do that, um, not, not to make himself better in people's eyes. He knows he's perfect in Jesus, but so that he would have an opportunity to witness people. If that would be helpful in him witnessing to the Jews, he's like, fine, I'll do it. But when the Jewish people spot him at the temple, they start you know, rousing everyone up, making these false accusations against him. Like, here's the guy that teaches, you know, you can't be Jewish anymore, doesn't like Jews, even though he is a Jew. And he look at, he brought a Gentile into the, the inner courts of the temple where you're not allowed to do that, which he didn't do, but just falsely accusing him. And it ends up in a riot where they're beating up Paul and they're wanting to kill him. And the Romans actually have to step in to try to squelch or squelch or in this uproar and they end up uh, arresting Paul. So that's where we left off. So let me pray one more time and then we'll get into this chunk we're going to do today. And dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just want to settle our hearts, want to prepare ourselves for what you want to say to us. So easy, Lord, to have our minds in other places. But this is such a practical section of scripture in showing us the importance of, of sharing our testimony, how first our, our testimonies are important and how you want to use those to bring people into a saving knowledge of you. And this, Paul gives us a great model here in, in how to share 
our testimony with people in a simple way. So it's something we can learn from. You said that these things are written for us to learn from, and so we want to learn. And we want to practice those things that we learn in our lives so that we can experience the same fruit that we see people like Paul experience in theirs. So teach us your ways, Lord, today, and help us in the process be reminded of the great work you've done in saving us, what you've saved us from and what you're continuing to save us from every day of our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm gonna read large chunks today because there's quite a bit we're gonna get through. Starting in verse 37, this is, remember, this is after Paul was arrested. It says, as, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune or the Roman commander, may I say something to you? And he said, this is the commander, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying... All right, I'm going to stop there for a second. So, Paul, he says something to this Roman tribune in Greek, which surprises this tribune because he thought he was someone else. And to some degree, him being able to speak Greek as a Jewish person would have shown that he was somewhat of an educated man and not the Egyptian terrorist that they were under the impression he was. This person that history tells us led 4,000 men to the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem where they made a plan to overthrow the Romans at the Temple Mount, a plan that the Romans never let happen, but they must have let the leader of that plan escape, and they assumed that Paul was him for some reason. But Paul makes it clear where he's from, and thereby showing them, I'm not the guy that you guys think I am. And then he makes a request to speak to the angry mob of people that, if you remember, not that long ago, were calling for his death, okay? And so... Paul gets permission to address the people here. Uh, the Roman commander probably thinking that, all right, maybe this is going to allow people to calm down if we give them the chance to uh, hear what he has to say. So Paul's standing on the stairs. He's overlooking this massive open courtyard that looks into the Temple Mount. And he motions with his hands to quiet the people down. And then he starts speaking to them in their own language, his native language, Hebrew, basically. And it says in verse 22... Paul says, or just chapter 22, verse 1, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense. Now, that word defense in the Greek is apologia, and it's where we get the word apologetics from, which, you guys, it's a Christianese word, but if you want to know what that means, it means to defend the faith or give reasoning and rationale for the things we believe. That's what Paul's about to do. He's going to give them the reason why he believes in Jesus. So he says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And I want you to note a couple things right off the bat here in how Paul is addressing his audience before we even get into what he actually has to say. Because here's the thing, how you talk to people, 
how you address people can greatly affect whether they will listen to you or not in the first place, especially in regards to sharing your faith with them. Okay, as we're going to see here with Paul. Paul's talking to the people here rather than at them. And verse 2 says that the people actually quieted down to listen to what he had to say. And I believe that is because first, if you guys are a note taker, write this down. He addressed the Jews here as brothers or fathers or family, showing that number one, he cared about the people he was talking to. All right, number one, first thing he did in addressing these people, he showed he cared about the people he was talking to. All throughout Paul's ministry, he gives us indications of his care and compassion towards people. All right, Paul expressing his feelings for the believers in Thessalonica, saying in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8, regarding when he was with them, we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives too. Or we lived amongst you, with you guys, doing life together. But he's expressing, man, just like a mother takes care of her kids, that's how much we love you guys. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've seen several times, over and over again, where when Paul leaves the believers, it's a very emotional thing. Right. Most recently, we saw that in Acts 20, 36 through 38, where he's leaving the Ephesian church leadership and they're hugging each other. They're kissing each other. That's a little weird. But um, the dudes and stuff. But that, that that's affection. Right. There's weeping They're They're really close. All right. They, the, the love is evident. OK. And then here we see Paul make it a point to address the people as brothers and fathers, showing that. He viewed them as family. And family is somebody that you care about. He's showing them that he cares. All right. Now we're told in John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Or God's grace and his truth have been revealed to you through the person of Jesus Christ. Now grace You've heard me say this before. It's God's undeserved, unearned, and and unmerited favor that he has shown towards you in sending his son to die in your place for sin that his son didn't do, but we did so that we could be forgiven of it and brought into a relationship with God, which is all because of his love. God's grace to you his favor that's been shown to you, starting with your salvation, and then every good thing he's done in your life after that for all eternity is because of his love. He has displayed his love for you. So we are called to follow Jesus's example in that, like actually the Bible says, we're constantly to be growing in the knowledge of God and his grace. I was actually prayed in the prayer room, all right? These are things that as we know God and we learn about him, they're, they're shown in our lives, all right? So we want to follow Jesus' example in that whenever we're telling the truth of God's word to people, it's to be done displaying the same grace that you've experienced, that he's shown you to them. Or we're telling them out of care and compassion that God has put in us, the same care and compassion that he has for us, that he has for them, we want that displayed in our words and in our actions. And, and what happens is 
all the people here see Paul had compassion for them. And what that did was it made them listen to what he had to say. Because if you see that somebody cares about you, or that's evident in some way, then it makes you want to hear what they have to say. Because why they're saying it must be with your 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 well-being in mind, okay? And so that's what Paul's demonstrating here and genuinely showing that he cares about people. And the next thing, okay, that's the first thing, all right? He shows he cares about them. And then the next thing Paul did in addressing the people here is he speaks to them in their native tongue or in Hebrew, as verse two says, which showed that, number two, write this down for your note taker, he identified with the people he was talking to. First, he showed that he cared about the people he was talking to. Now he's showing that he identified with them. Paul was a Jew. He grew up in the same culture. He followed the same religion. He worshiped the same God, speaking the same native language as he's showing here. So he wasn't talking to them as somebody that was above them or better than them, like the Romans thought that they were. He was actually talking to them as somebody that was able to literally understand them or basically somebody that they could relate to. Paul was that basically showing that I'm just like you apart from Jesus Christ so that they could relate to him and want to hear what he had to say. And this In in addition to knowing that he cared about them, this made people want to listen. Because here's the thing. If you're relatable to somebody, then whatever is happening in your life, you know, specifically in this vein of thinking, like Jesus, who's made your life better, if it applies to you, then it can apply to them, if they can relate to you. So it makes you worthwhile to listen to, okay? And so that's why they're wanting to listen to him. It also being important for people to be able to identify with us in any ministry we do for the Lord. As if you're, if we're going to be given the chance to tell someone about Jesus, they have to understand that at some point, or even right now, you're exactly the same as they are, except for the fact that you have Jesus in your life. All right? Because again, with Jesus in our life, we've experienced perks we've experienced blessedness we've experienced change all these things that are beneficial to us and if they understand that you can relate to them if they if you you identify with them then that means everything that's applicable to you can be applicable to them and if you have good things desirable traits things they see in your life that god's done that they that are desirable they're going to want to know how they can experience those same things too and as you being relatable They're going to ask or they're going to listen to what you have to say so they can learn that. But if we act like we're better than other people or not as bad off as they are, then number one, we've misunderstood the gospel. But effectively, we've made ourselves unrelatable, which isn't going to give anyone a reason to want to listen to us at all. And as Christians, we have to be really careful of this, all right? Because here's the thing, especially with the ability we have to reach masses of people, including lots of unbelievers on social media media informally and i say that because writing something down and sharing it doesn't always convey your heart behind it accurately okay but there's a danger in doing this because we can give off and sometimes un unpurposefully we can give off the appearance of self-righteousness or that somehow we're better 
than other people by our actions. Sometimes I think we can do this, like I said, inadvertently when we're trying to even promote truth. The things we're saying aren't wrong, especially with hot political topics like things like abortion or maybe even in the name of you know apostasy or theological differences. We can share things, but they come across with a lack of grace out of not compassion, out of not comparing, or that's the way they're read. That's the way they're taken. We can't always control that, but in a lot of ways we can. We have to be really careful of that because you can promote something that's 100% right, but if you don't do it with the right heart and then it's not conveyed properly, it can totally make it unrelatable to anyone else because they think you're just different than them and you're better than them and you're some super person and I don't want to hear anything they want to say. And that defeats the whole purpose of saying it, right? Because we're trying to introduce them to truth so they can be blessed. But if they're not going to listen to it, all right, then that defeats the purpose. And, and also listening and believing are two different things. Because what we want them to do is listen to it. What they do with it once they hear it is up to them, all right? That's a work of God. So we can't control that. But we don't want to turn people off to Jesus, all right? So we got to be careful the way we do that. Remember, we talked about this last week, that example I used at the end of being a cop or a paramedic. Which one are we in what we're conveying? All right? It's, it's the difference. If you come across as a paramedic, people are going to want to listen to what you have to say. So how we present the truth is important, and it needs to be from a genuine place of compassion and care, and then coming from a place where we show we understand the people that we're talking to. And when they see that we're talking to them rather than at them, like Paul they're going to be more prone to listen to the truth we're trying to convey. Amen? All right. And now we're going to see Paul specifically say to the Jews, Jews here, um, what, like his testimony. And again, I alluded to this at the beginning. You would think Paul, the, the former Pharisee, the guy that knows God's word front to back, right? The Old Testament that was educated in it, that knows that the, these Jews have, they know the word, they just don't understand it. All these references to the Messiah, they're all speaking prophetically of Jesus. You would think that's the route that he goes, but that's not the route he goes. He chooses to go a different route. He shares his testimony, maybe thinking that, all right, these guys are argumentative. They're already at me. And the greater proof of how Jesus is real to them is going to be seeing what he's done in my life. Because many of these people knew who Paul was before he was saved. And now they're seeing who he is after. And that right there spoke volumes to how real God was because there were things that changed in his life that only God could do, all right? And so within this text, we're gonna see a great model or example for us to follow in how to share a testimony with someone. So again, for you note takers, here's an outline for the remaining verses we're gonna be in. Verses three through five. Where's Stephen Smiley? This is for him, he's an outliner. Verses three through five talk about who paul was before jesus verses 6 through 15 talk about how paul encountered jesus verses 16 through 21 talk about who paul had become because of jesus i'll say that one more time verses 3 through 5 talk about who paul was before jesus verses 6 through 15 talk about how paul encountered jesus and verses 16 through 21 talk about who Paul had become because of Jesus. So first, Paul shares who he was before Jesus. And he said, verse three, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, that being Jerusalem, educated at the feet 
of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day, or I'm just like you guys. I was just like you guys. I persecuted this way. That's a reference to Christianity. It's what they called it back then. I persecuted this way or Christians to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul tells the people he was Jewish, just like them. Again, identifying with them. So they can relate to him, all right? He says, I'm bor- I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, which was outside of Israel in Asia Minor or present-day Turkey. So Paul would have been what was called, you guys have probably heard this term, maybe a Hellenist, basically a, a Jewish person that had a Greek background. So that further makes him relatable, not to just the pure Jews, but also the Hellenist Jews, all right? And Paul makes it clear that, hey, even though I was born outside of Israel or the promised land, I was brought up or I was raised in verse 3 in Jerusalem. And I was educated by none other than the guy named Gamaliel, who, according to Acts 5.34, was one of the most prestigious rabbis of the day. Still to this day, young Jewish guys, when they're trained up by rabbis, if, if you're trained up by somebody that's of well-renowned, you're thought of highly in that society, all right? So this is a guy that regular Jews and Hellenist Jews, everyone alike would have respected. And Paul's saying, I was trained up by that guy. Paul making it clear in verse three that he too was zealous in his Jewish faith at one point, just the same as these people were. And maybe even to a greater degree, because he's like, you guys haven't done what I've done. If you guys remember, I was so zealous for Jesus that I even persecuted anyone that was following him to the point of either throwing them in jail or killing them in some instances, all right? So he's like really building it up. And he's like, I didn't spare men or women alike. Anyone that was a follower of him, I went after, which he says that in verse five, the Jewish religious leaders, you guys here right now, you're persecuting me. He's like, you guys know this is true. I did it under your orders. I was working for you. Paul wanting to be clear to the people here that basically I understand why you're doing what you're doing because I was once like you, just like you. He was a follower of Jesus now, but that wasn't always the case. He started out being just like them, which made him relatable. Amen. And it's so important when we share our testimony with people that like Paul, we establish that we were once like them, that we are like them apart from Jesus Christ. We're guilty of the same things. We struggle with the same same things. We, we're in the same endless cycle of always being discontent, never finding what we're looking for in the world. We understand this because we've all been saved from it. The only difference between us and them is Jesus, all right? We're all sinners, saved by grace. And any changes that have happened in our lives are only by the grace of God. And the reason we want to share that and be adamant about it, just as Paul does, first and foremost, who we were before Jesus is because they understand there's nothing special about me. I'm not some superhuman, okay? I'm just 
like you. And every benefit that I've experienced in knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior is available to you through faith in him. Amen? Amen. We want to make that clear so they understand why they should listen. And it was on one of these missions given to Paul by the religious leaders where he's on his way back to Damascus to capture Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem, as verse 5 says, that Paul first meets Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go on here, and this is the second thing that he's going to share, how he encountered Jesus. It says in verse 6, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Now, I just want to stop here quick to point out that even though Paul's sharing his testimony, he's also sharing God's word with them, right? He's sharing the specific words that God spoke to him. And I think that's important because just because we're sharing our testimony with people, it doesn't mean we don't share God's word. We all, to some degree, know some of God's word, all right, through even a little bit of teaching you've learned, or you might have a lot of God's word memorized. But whatever you do know, that should naturally just come out of us when we're sharing Jesus. And that's what Paul's doing. And it says, verse 11, And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. Now, I want to pause here really quick because this is important in the details he's pointing out out about Ananias because what Paul is making clear here is that Judaism is not what kept people from knowing God, all right? Because these people wrongly assumed that. They thought that Paul was teaching it's an either or. You're telling people they can't be Jewish once they're Christian. That's not what he's telling people. They're in a sense using this worldly thing as the excuse as to why they can't follow God. And Paul's saying, no. He's saying this Ananias guy... You guys knew him yourself. He was a devout man, according to the law. He followed the law, and he was well known amongst Jews. He had a good reputation, all right? And that didn't separate him from God, nor did it separate Paul, for that matter, because Paul still practiced some of the, the, the traditions of the law. But here's the thing. Neither did those guys reject God through rejecting his son, Jesus Christ, or basically what separated Ananias and Paul from the rest of the people he's talking to is that they had placed their faith in Jesus so that they could know God. So thereby rejecting Jesus and thereby rejecting God himself was the real issue that had to be overcome for these people to truly be saved. Because as Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what they weren't understanding. They were looking for salvation in the wrong place, just as Paul and Ananias and everyone else once were. But Paul's telling them, I've found it in the right place. And it's through faith in God's son, Jesus Christ. So often people wrongly think in this world that sin 
or lifestyle choices or some external thing that they're trying to find some sort of fulfillment or identity in is a barrier to keeping them from God. Sometimes you hear people say things like, oh, I can't, I can't go to church. My life's a mess. I got to clean myself up. Like the, the messy stuff in their life is what's separating from God. The very stuff God came, Jesus came to die for, right? Or you hear people say things like, well, Christians or the Bible, they say this lifestyle choice of mine is sin, but it's who I am. So I guess Christianity isn't for me. Using that choice they've made is a barrier. Or even like the, the things they partake, partake in life. You know, my life's just too busy right now. I'm really focused on my job or I'm focused on this thing. And, you know, eventually I'll start going to church, but just right, not right now. They use these a, a variety of different things and they create a barrier that God never intended, right? There is no barrier. Jesus came to take away any barrier anyone could ever have to having a relationship with God, okay? But these are self-inflicted barriers, And so through Jesus, whatever it is, that's the key, going to Jesus. And all barriers are removed through faith in him. And the thing is, there's never a reason, a good reason to not do that. And that's what Paul's trying to point out to these these religious people. He's basically saying that Judaism is your guys' excuse not to go to God. You think that it is what's getting you to God But I know you guys. I'm just like you. I thought that same thing. And guess what? It didn't work. And I found what does work. And it's faith in Jesus Christ's son. So don't use that as an excuse, your Judaism, not to come to God because it's not one. You can believe in Jesus whom I'm telling you about. And you can know God personally. And you will find the contentment and fulfillment that you're trying to find in everything else in this world, in your Judaism and everything that you know as well as me that you're not finding because I didn't find it. Amen? That's what he's explaining to him. And he goes on in verse 13, talking about Ananias. He says, he came to me and standing by me, he said to me, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, that being Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth, that being his word. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. You'll have a testimony. God's going to give you a testimony. And if you want to know why God saved you, Christian, right here in these verses, you see a great summation in verses 14 through 15. Number one, the reason God saved you is to know his will for your life, which I point out often in Romans 12, 2 says is good, pleasing, and perfect, right? Number one, God saved you so you could know his will, his plan for you. Number two, to see him as revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. God is not trying to hide from anyone in this world. On the contrary, he wants everyone that he has created to know him and you can know him and see him through his son, Jesus Christ. The third thing, God wants you to hear his voice through his word. He's not trying to let you, or he doesn't want you just to wander through this world aimlessly as so often we can feel like we're doing. No, God is here to help you as your father. He wants you to hear his voice through his word and it's through faith in Jesus that you can do that, all right? So, Number one, he wants you to know the will for his will for your life. Number two, he wants you to see him 
through his son, Jesus. Number three, he wants you to hear his voice through his word. And the fourth thing, he wants you to be a witness to everyone around you. Or if I had to summarize this in even simpler terms, number one, God saved you to know him. And number two, he saved you so you could make him known to everyone else in your life. Amen. Through, as it says here, see, telling everyone of what you've seen him do for you and what you've heard him say to you through his word. All right. Same for all of us. That's why God saved us. Exactly what Paul is doing here in Jerusalem. He's doing these. He's doing this. He's telling everyone about Jesus. He explains to the people how he came to personally know him. And, and, and up until, you know, knowing Jesus, he's making it clear that I, I was just like you guys. But then it suddenly changed. A light shone, shined down from heaven. It knocked me to the ground. It knocked some sense into me, if you will. And I heard a voice that it, it says in verse 8, he instantly recognized what that voice was or whose voice it was. Even though he didn't know who it was, He what did he say? He said, Lord. He understood that it was God he was talking to, all right? And and that voice tells him that, Paul, you think you're, pers- you're doing what you're doing. You're persecuting these Christians in my name, but you're actually persecuting me. And in response, he asks God, well, who are you? And he says, it's me, Jesus. I'm the Lord, the one that you're ultimately persecuting. And I believe at this point, this is where he truly believed in Jesus as the Lord and Savior um, by what he says in verse 10. Because what does he say? He says, what shall I do, Lord? Or basically he goes from persecuting God to wanting to know God and be a servant of God or doing what God told him to do. Really, any true sign of salvation and regeneration in a person starts with them repenting or turning from going away from God in their sin towards turning toward God and looking for God to lead them in what he wants for their life or to serve him, all right? And here's the thing that I want to also point out here. We can look at this account and we can think, that's a pretty miraculous story. I can see why he wants to tell people about this and think that somehow our Christian salvation story is like less dramatic in some way, especially for some of us that have kind of grown up in the church. I'm not one of those people, but I've heard people say that before. Don't believe that lie from the enemy, okay? Because every single one of us in here, our salvation story starts in that we were dead in our sin, all right? You might not have been physically dead. You eventually are going to be physically dead, a hundred out of a hundred of us, all right? That's guaranteed, unless the Lord raptures us. But having said that, you all were dead. We all were dead in our sin, and we all resurrected. We were given life through our faith in Jesus Christ, eternal life, all right? So that in itself is a miracle because it was nothing any one of us could have ever done. And all the changes that have happened in your life, you shouldn't have to think too hard, are things that I'm convinced change can't happen apart from God. Real change for the good. That only happens through faith in Jesus. And all those changes that you have had in your life, that is because of God. And that is the proof that he has is real in your life so that you can share that with other people. Amen? Just like Paul. And so God does, um, after he saves Paul, he does what he so often does in our life. Jesus gives him a direction, but not detail, or not much detail. He tells him what to do next. Tells him to to go and receive, uh, to, or to Damascus and receive further instructions. And Paul's led there by the people with him who heard the voice but couldn't understand it, or they saw the light, they, they couldn't understand what the voice was saying, but 
Paul's left blind and they lead him there. And he gets to Damascus and he's greeted and welcomed by another believer named Ananias who must have recognized to some degree that Paul was saved now because Paul's reputation was a bad dude that was out to kill Christians. But yet he calls him in verse 13, brother. All right. So he sees he's saved. And through the leading of the Holy Spirit, Ananias, he heals Paul of his blindness. He gives him a word of prophecy regarding God's plan for his life. And finally, we're going to see Paul share about who he had become because of Jesus. So starting in verse 16, it says, And now why do you wait? This is Ananias talking to him. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Verse 17, And when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I want you to note that Paul's still pointing out that he did Jewish practices. He went and prayed at the temple because he's making it clear to him, guys, I still do this stuff. My, my salvation isn't through it, but I still do the same things you guys do. It says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him, this being Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. So in essence, what Paul's doing here is what we can so often do when we think we know better than God. Because God's like, Paul, you need to get out of here. But he's like, well, God, if you only knew. I mean, God... Who is better to tell the Jews about Jesus than me? I was the guy that was trying to hunt him down and kill him. Surely they're going to listen to me. I'm the right guy for this job. And Jesus' replies, he said to me, go. For I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. So from Damascus, um, after he was saved, this is 20 years prior to this latest visit to Jerusalem. Paul went to Jerusalem thinking because of his past. The street cred he'd have with the Jews would somehow make him the perfect witness to them. And, and, and again, that's not a bad desire. It was good that he wanted to share Jesus with them, but God had other plans. He had different things in store for Paul, telling him, I want you to leave for now. I want you to focus on the Gentiles. And I can't help but think maybe it's because Paul might have approached this differently right after he was saved. The way he's talking, he probably might have gone like at the theological route, right? Like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show these guys, like, that they're wrong and I'm right. Like I have a true understanding of the word now. I'm going to explain to him how every every prophetic reference in the Old Testament is speaking of Jesus Christ. And God just knew like, no, that's not the way to approach this. All right. You're just going to end up in an argument and nobody's going to listen to you and receive what you're saying. Like you care about them and, and that you can relate to them. So I'm going to send you away and teach you some things over 20 years and come back. And then you'll be prepared to give a right response to these people. And what does he do? He comes back and he shares this testimony of them. But Paul makes it clear to the crowd here that it was God that told me to go preach to the Gentiles. All right. Which is important because part of the reason these these Jewish people are bad is because in their minds, Gentiles were inferior to Jews and there's no way God would have a relationship with them like he would with God's chosen people, the Jewish people. And so they're angry because Paul's out preaching the good news and, and, and gent- saying Gentiles are getting saved. And he's pointing out to them, this is God's plan to save everybody alike, all right? But as Paul shares here, before Jesus came into his life, he was a persecutor of Christians. 
guilty of unjustly beating and imprisoning them and even overseeing and approving of their deaths, misrepresenting God in the process as he was doing it all in the name of the Lord. But through faith in Jesus, what does he say in verse 16? He was forgiven. His sins were washed away. All right. All those horrible things he done. And now through faith in Jesus, he was forgiven of every single one of them. And he was instantly changed from being a persecutor of God to being a witness for God. Amen? Amen? You guys don't sound too excited for Paul. All right? Well, here's the thing. As the worship team comes back up here, what I want to remind us of is like Paul, we've all been changed by Jesus Christ. And for the better, okay, we may not be where we would like to be, but you shouldn't have to look too hard to see where you've been brought from and see that you're so much further along than you were because of God's grace in your life. Amen? Amen. And we need to share that with people because that same, those same good things he's done for you, he wants to do for them. And we're the living proof that a relationship with God is possible and that real change for the better can happen in people's lives. That they can be forgiven of their sin and they can be set free from it. You're the proof of that. The evidence. Amen. And we need not forget that, all right? And this section of scripture should really be an encouragement to us because to some degree, we, like I said in the beginning, might not be able to give what we consider a solid theological argument to somebody about why God's real. Some of us can. That's our gift. Like, we love apologetics and stuff. But even in that, people can argue with it. But every single one of you can tell people your testimony. You can do exactly what Paul did in sharing with everyone how we once were before Jesus, how we came to know Jesus, and how Jesus has changed us for the better. Every single one of you can have the same response as the blind man who Jesus healed in John 9, where the Pharisees wanted to know who this Jesus was, and his response is, I I don't know. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. We can answer that much, and that much is enough for God to use to prove to people how real he is and that they need to know him as well. And the reality is your testimony could be the greatest thing you ever tell anyone because like I said in the beginning, people can't argue with you on that. They can argue whether God's word, whether they believe it's true or not or on your theology. They can't argue with your personal testimony. I stand here today and I didn't get saved till I was 20 years old. And I look back at the fact that I was selfish, prideful, narcissistic, a fornicator, a drug user, an alcoholic, somebody prone to violence. I could go on and on about all the horrible things. My life, I was destroying myself. I was on the verge of getting kicked out of college. And that's when the Lord met me on my road to Damascus. And he saved me. And I stand here today, changed as a product of his grace. That's it. It's all God, not me at all. And every single one of us has a similar story. Details might be a little different, but it's the same thing. 
You are a product of his grace. And we get to be encouraged by that ourselves first. And then we get to share that with everyone else around us that God puts in our lives so they can experience the same salvation and the same blessing we have through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do today, we're going to do communion again. I real feel like the Lord is just driving home to us this last month, remembering the cross, remembering our salvation. And so during this last song, you're going to come up and get it and you're going to do it on your own. We're going back to old style communion, all right? So hopefully no one's afraid of germs anymore, but we got crackers and juice. We won't hear all that people fumbling with the foil of those wretched cups. But um, further evidence of God's grace. Um, but come up on your own and, and get the communion elements. It really just, man, thank the Lord for what he's done for you. Thank him for the cross because it's all come through that. And then praise him. And go from here thankful for your salvation. Thankful for the fact that you are a product of his grace. Because it's in that thankfulness and that joy of what God's done for you. You'll just naturally be sharing that with everyone else. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, come up. We'll have our prayer room around here. If you're somebody visiting today and you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he died for your sins too. That's why you're here today. You might have thought it's because your neighbor invited you or your friend invited you. No, it's because God loves you. It's because he sent his son to die for you. And he tracked you down to get you here today to hear that and to receive him as your Lord and Savior. To repent of your sin, to acknowledge that you're not perfect and you need someone to save you from it. And that person was Jesus Christ. So you could be forgiven and you can be brought into a relationship with God. The same thing I've talked about for Paul, that is for you. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't leave here thinking, well, I'll take care of that later. You don't create a barrier, if you will, between God. He's removed the barrier and you can be brought into fellowship with him through simply believing in his son today and come up and get prayer. We'll lead you in a prayer for that if that's you today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for our salvation. Thank you for what you've done for us. May we never grow insensitive to that truth. To everything, may we remember all the time, everything you've done for us, where you've brought us from, all the changes you've made in our lives for the better, all the things you've set us free from, all the sin you've forgiven us from. I feel so much like Paul. I'm so unworthy. I'm the worst of anyone, yet you saved me. And you, of all things, you, you allow me to be the one that's sharing the truth of your word. There's nothing in me that deserves this. It's all by your grace. And we're so thankful that for you and what you've done in our lives first and foremost, but that we get to be the the ones that share this with everyone else so they can experience the same thing we have, Lord. May we just leave here filled in your spirit, filled with just the joy of the Lord for what you've done for us and see every opportunity you give us this week just to tell people about you and what you've done for us in our lives. And all God's people said, amen.